Clytus, I'm bored. What plaything can you offer me today? Now dig this, Matt. Y'all know I love stationery. Y'all know I love to take notes. I love to write. I love to write on paper. I love to write notebooks. Matt, what'd you get me for Christmas this year? I got you notebooks and pens and organizers. Correct. I love it. Uh, And I find that it genuinely helps me remember things better as opposed to typing them or like putting them on a, a text file or whatever. Actually writing something down physically helps me a lot. It helps me organize my thoughts. It helps me get my work done. And ever since I got my new uh, iPad and I got the Apple Pencil with it, I have been doing that on there, and that's great. The only problem I've had with it, it doesn't quite feel like writing on paper, which is a feeling I like. We have the solution to that problem. That's right. Paper-like. As I mentioned at the top of the show, it's a screen protector for your iPad. It uses a proprietary technology called NanoDots. With those NanoDots, you feel the natural resistance of paper on your iPad screen. It is a paper-like feeling on your iPad. So if you're drawing, if you're taking notes, if you're using your iPad like you would a notebook, here's the way for it to really feel natural. And Chris, I know you love that. You you have an iPad, you've got a paper-like and I'm sure it's, it feels just right for you. It does. It feels great to use. Also, Matt, you know I'm very particular about paper. I have yes. specific brands of notebooks that I will and will not use. And paper, like, feels good on the iPad. Uh, they also make accessories for the pencil to make the pencil a little more comfortable to hold. They make uh, accessories to help you clean the iPad as well. They've got it all. The ability to handwrite notes in a digital form is great to begin with, but getting that extra tactile feeling that makes me happy while I do it, <laughs> that gives me that little dopamine, that little serotonin burst that I like to have, is fantastic. The latest version of the Paperlike is manufactured in Switzerland using high-quality plastic foils designed for maximum picture clarity. You're not going to lose any of the definition of your iPad screen if you put a paper-like on there. And these foils are developed exclusively for paper-like products. It also always comes in a set of two, so you have a spare. Look, we know a lot of artists listen to this show. If you're an artist and you're looking for a way to make drawing on your iPad feel a little bit better, this is how you do it. So, to pick up your paper-like, head over to paperlike.com slash Ajax, click Buy Paper-like, and select your iPad size. From now, right now, until the end of January, Paperlike is also including their digital pro planner bundle at no extra cost for every order placed through the Paperlike store. Plus, shipping is completely free. So if you're ready to do more with your iPad, head over to paperlike.com slash Ajax to get started. Hello, everybody, and welcome to War Rocket Ajax. It's the internet's most live comic book and pop culture podcast, and my name is Chris Sims. And with me, as always, Matt Wilson. That's me. I don't have a funny name for you today. Uh, well, the funny name 
is uh, Matt Wilson, who is in balmy Sunday evening, Charlotte, North Carolina. It's the end of Heroes Con. The sound you likely hear in the background right now, the uh, churning and sputtering. Those are generators powering food trucks. That is the sound of a food truck that just served us some delicioso food. Word. And uh, we ate that, and it was good. Hey guys, what y'all need to know is that we just came out of a video store. We did. A video rental store called Vizarts. Yeah. Like wizards. <laughs> and uh, it's pretty cool. It's a pretty cool little video store. That it's uh, There's a video store in my current hometown of Asheville called Orbit that is similar in that they their stock and trade is weird stuff. Now, uh, as you can tell, Matt and I are live. We're in person. We're standing right next to each other. Matt's got a cheer wine that he's drinking. Sipping on a cheer I'm, wine. I'm about to go. Uh, Kerr Franklin's holding my comics that I'm about to go by. Uh, my girlfriend's walking across the parking lot coming towards us. Yep. Uh, we just finished Heroes Con. It's the end of three days of Heroes Con. Three and a half days. TBQH. Are you guys No, we're recording our podcast, sweetie. Oh, sorry. You're on, you're on the recording now. Oh, sorry. Say hi. Hi. <laughs> the, the, just like uh, my wife, Marlene... Aiden has officially laughed on this podcast in the but but unlike Marlene, you're laughing at something that is occurring on the podcast instead of something on TV in another room. Yeah. Uh, can you hurry up and finish? Because I want you to buy me some ice cream. Okay. Well, cool. just just a second, just a moment, my love. Okay. Okay. Bye. <laughs> okay. So I gotta go get some ice cream. So let's let's tell everybody what the deal is. We just came through Heroes Con. Uh, we're tired. We're a little bit loopy. Yep. We're wanting some ice cream. Uh, so what we are going to do, no checks, no, no recs. recs, no comics reviews. Nope, we're going to go straight into our interview segment that was recorded last night, Saturday night, in a hotel room that Chris, uh, that later in the night became the epicenter of three noise complaints that we were told about. Listen, I'm a baller. <laughs> Uh, but before those noise complaints, we had Tom Scioli, the writer and artist. Co-writer and artist. Co-writer, that's right. John Barber is also co-writer of that book. Uh, but co-writer and artist of Transformers vs. G.I. Joe from IDW. We just had him on to talk about, in part, Transformers vs. G.I. Joe, but also just some comics that he's into and sort of the weird trends of comics over the last few decades. Yeah. Uh, it, was a, it was a good time, so we are going to go to that now, and we'll catch you on the flip. All right, we're, uh, we are here in the hotel room uh, at Heroes Con 2015. Uh, it's just me, Matt Wilson, our special guest, uh, the uh, co-writer and artist of Transformers vs. G.I. Joe, one of my favorite comics ever, uh, and 15 other people. <laughs> it's eight. Eight other people. An audience of eight. Audience of eight. But, but Ken Lowry, who might actually get on the show, <laughs> is no! I, you're the one who's always been a proponent of this, but I can't allow this to happen. I'm the gatekeeper of War Rocket Ajax. I just texted him and told him to, to come up with Robert. They're bringing bourbon. Well, you you are living this, with this on your okay. shoulders. Okay, uh, Edward, when Ken comes in here, you tell him to shush. 
So, Tom, welcome back to the show. Have you been on the show before? I have not. You have not, but I've, I've interviewed you before. You've interviewed I've me, interviewed just you not John. the podcast. Yeah. Um, and the last time I interviewed you, we talked about Transformers vs. G.I. Joe, obviously. Right. Uh, but you told me that you wanted to come on the show and just kind of talk about the comics that you were into. Yeah. So, here we are. so yeah. yeah. I, I, uh, when I first came in here, I saw you had this stack of comics, so I immediately just had to sort of look through them, and I figured I could probably look through them like while we're talking. But I guess these are this is uh, uh, Nth Man, the Ultimate Ninja, which is I think Larry Hama says this is his favorite. He said the reason I was looking forward to this con was because I read an interview with Larry uh, from 2012, and he said that was his favorite thing he's ever written. It looks really sharp. Like I, I haven't uh, checked this comic out yet, but uh, so far, I mean, the first page looks pretty amazing. There's a bunch of uh, airplanes flying over a city, and and uh, it it looks as good as anything Larry's ever you know written for. Well, I mean, on the cover, there is a man twirling a katana in one hand while shooting an AK-47 with his other hand, one-handed. He is the ultimate ninja. That is what the ultimate ninja does. I'm excited to read it. It was actually supposed to... He pitched it as a 24-issue a story. It was going to be like a 500-and-some page graphic novel. Uh, and then it got canceled at 16. So I'm excited to get to the end of that and read about it. Yeah, it looks pretty crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I like that this episode is, a, is suddenly a live commentary on it. <laughs> So it's just, we're just going to read Ant-Man. Right, we're going to read Ant-Man. Right, so I, as I said before we started, I'm not editing a segment of this, so we're just going to have some long silences right, as I'm reading comics. As I read, now, carefully. You've seen Jim's. We talked about I, Jim's. I saw, yeah, I saw Jim's black and white scene, and That's, uh, uh, Jim Rugg Jim Jim did yeah. a zine, a black and white zine, where he collects uh, you know, art from like just really strange black and white publications. And I told him, uh, I think... Like, people are going to be kind of fooled by this because it so mimics the format of these things, where it's just, like, basically a pig fuck, that it, like, it, it, you'd almost be fooled into thinking that, like, a bunch of, you know, like, a bunch of guys just hired, like, spent all, put all their money together to hire, like, a really good artist to make, like, an awesome cover, you know, for their, their zine. Yeah, like, I thought when, when uh, I saw this, that this was Jim, like, redrawing pages okay. from Black wow. and White Boom Books. But then I hit the uh, then I hit the Reagan's Raiders ad yeah because they take over where Rambo left off. <laughs> can I can I just say that I would not be surprised if Jim Pu- Jim Rugg published a comic that was called Pig Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so now you mentioned I, I almost bought you the uh, comic book adaptation of Demolition Man. Oh wow! Today. Yeah, I, I need to read that. You should have. Because you said you said you've been reading a lot of, mo- of movie adaptations yeah. lately. Like yeah. what did you read? Uh, Logan's Run. Okay, that was a that was a Marvel one. Yeah, Marvel right. one. Yeah, um, Food of the Gods, uh, which was also Marvel. Um, uh, the Island of Doctor Moreau, which had art by Larry Hama, the creator of GI Joe. Um, uh, the the um, Steranko Outland adaptation, two thousand one. Like, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I, I classics, you've read two thousand one yeah, already, but sort of, yeah, like like looking more closely at them. See, because when you said you had read, you've been reading. Um, Movie adaptations. <laughs> I hope the phone picked up the sound of that cork gently popping out of a bottle of bourbon across the room. Uh, 
when you said you've been reading movie adaptations, I thought about stuff like I had the Rocketeer yeah, adaptation yeah, that Russ Heath yeah. drew when I was a kid, which is such a weird thing to go from Dave Stevens to Russ Heath. Russ, Russ Heath, everything he does is just uh, impeccable, fun to read. Just you know, he's just really um, <laughs> you know popping up in strange places. Yeah, uh, I had that one. I had uh, th- there was a Dick Tracy one. Yeah, uh, Kyle Baker. The Kyle Baker did, which that's probably my first Kyle Baker comic. I I had that comic too. That co- that comic is nuts. Yeah, like the the design, like the designs of those villains are crazy enough already, and then Kyle Baker just takes them like turns them up another notch. It's really really cool. So I, if I see that demolition man one, I'm gonna. If they have two copies, I'll get one for you and one for okay, me. Please do. Because I would love to see how they adapt Demolition Man for comics. Now, what what has happened to the movie adaptation? DVDs. I mean, I mean, sure, but like, there was home video when that Dick Tracy comic was coming out. Like, like why? why there, like, I mean, there was a transition, but um, I think the i there used to be the idea that a comic book could be. A like an advertisement for whatever it is you're you're selling the same way that you know you can advertise on TV, and eventually they realize that that's I mean that it, that that isn't it at all. Like you you uh, you're going to reach a very small, very specific audience. You know. With, yeah, there's. I always felt like it was there uh, the desire to. You know, stuff used to take a lot longer to come out mm-hmm. on on home video, so if you if you wanted to see Dick Tracy again. You could either this is pay another six dollars to go to the theater. Or you could pay three dollars and read it as yeah. many times as yeah. you want. I, I, I think the promotional aspect is big too, because like a lot of those tie-in comics, the the adaptations would come out even sometimes even before the movie was in the theater, or or at least like concurrent too, not like around home video time. Yeah. So like, yeah, I, I think that's a big part of it. But then also, I I just I would love to like dig into. When their, that realization was actually made, because I feel yeah. like even into like our current period of like big superhero movies, there were like comics adaptations of those. I know there was a comics adaptation of the first two X Men movies. Yeah, yeah. There, I mean, there was a com- there have been comics adaptations of all the Transformers movies. Yeah, but I don't like. There's no well, comics that, adaptation of Avengers: Age of Ultron. But no. now what you're getting is you're Superman getting, Returns. There, there was, was a, yeah. There were. There were prequels to Superman Returns. Okay. Is there an adaptation? I, I assume. Because I was going to say, like, what you get now is you get the comic book prequels. Yeah. Because they're doing that with Mad Max, where yeah. there's, like, six comics, which, they're fine. They're completely unnecessary. Well, and, but you also get the, like, not really tie-in comics, but it's like, here are the characters from the movie in a, in a comic altogether. Do you remember the Get Smart movie they made with... Mm-hmm. Yeah, with Steve Carell. Steve Carell and Anne Hathaway? Mm-hmm. The most believable screen couple. And Dwayne The Rock Johnson. And Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Uh, do you remember how they made a separate movie about, like, the two minor characters? Like, the dude from Heroes? Like, how they just shot another movie that they released direct-to-DVD while Get Smart the movie was in theaters? Because they did that. <laughs> That's the thing they did. That sounds like a movie fighter's movie. <laughs> I think it might be. Anyway, let's get back on track. <laughs> on track to where? I don't know, but back to talking about uh, favorite comics. I, I mean, we were talking about movie adaptations. Like, what are some other movie adaptations that you find well, of I, interest? I mean, uh, the, the 
what you were talking about made me think back to, to that time that they were, you know, they were a thing, and I just remember RoboCop. I wanted to see RoboCop so bad, it hadn't come out yet, and I got the, the comic, it was a little oversized, it was black and white, and so I got to, you know... The last time I remember a movie-related comic kind of being put out there as an event is when, of all publishers, Avatar, putting out the Frank Miller script to RoboCop 2... Mm-hmm. As a comic, uncut. Yeah, it was the the Frank Miller uncut RoboCop two, and it was just like the, we're gonna make this a big event thing, adapted then, by Stephen Grant. Yeah, and then, yeah, yeah, adapted by Stephen Grant, and then it kind of like I mean, it it came out, and I guess people paid attention to it, but like, I, well, th- there's just not that interest. I mean, in it like was movie comics. It was broken up into issues, and reading it in issues, it was like highly unsatisfying. But recently, yeah. I I wanted to give it another look, and so I bought like the trade of it. And it, it it's a lot of fun. Like it, yeah, yeah. And, and and then they did like a RoboCop three, a similar thing with RoboCop three. Like more recently, and the funny thing is, reading the adaptation of the RoboCop two script and the the comics adaptation of the RoboCop three script is, you find there's all these redundant scenes in both because it's like he took all the scenes that he didn't get to use in RoboCop two and then put them in his RoboCop three script. So you're you're reading like variations of the same story twice. Now I have never seen RoboCop three. <laughs> Because I watched the trailer for RoboCop 3, and I was like, no, I'm good. I'm good. I mean, I know RoboCop's got a jetpack in this one, and that does sound like something I'm interested in. But also, RoboCop's got a jetpack in this one. So, would you suggest that I just go straight to the comics adaptation? Uh, no, check out the movie. Check okay. out RoboCop 3. It's a lot of fun. So that is a RoboCop 3 recommendation. I, I, I have a massive spoiler um, at, at, the end of, um, at the end of RoboCop 1. He says, what's your name? says Murphy, right. and then it's the end. Great scene. At the end of uh, RoboCop 3, he asks him, what's your name? RoboCop. No! <laughs> I had to. Oh, oh it's, so, it's upsetting. I don't... Break the tank, turn it around. Oh. So, uh, let's see. We're talking, about, we're talking about movie comics. What else are you, what else are you reading? Uh, I'm just thinking of like the stuff that I picked up today at, at, at Heroes Con. I grabbed... A um, one of the old uh, Carmine Infantino uh, uh, Adam Strange comics. It's like it's the one where um, Adam Strange is sort of caught between planet Earth and and you know whatever planet he's from. He's always like this. And he's, he's, like, he's like flying towards okay. them and they're like about to crash into each other. It's, it's like a crossover with Hawkman. So I grabbed that. Um, like I, I did a, a tribute to that cover in uh, in an upcoming issue of, of Transformers versus G.I. Joe, so I figured I should probably own a copy of a comic that I paid tribute to, you know, rather than just going by, like, a you know, Google image. So there's that. Um, uh, we were looking at the, the Mike Hinge Experience uh, portfolio. I don't know if you know who he is. Mike Hinge, he was, he was a, an artist that um, Steranko uh, published, like, a Stranko took like a very strong interest in his work and published like a really nice like sort of uh, portfolio book I guess you'd call it of, of all his artwork and you you can see sort of like a cross influence going on of, of like sort of this guy being influenced by Steranko but then Stranko subsequently being influenced by this guy it's it's very like stark black and white uh, technological imagery that that is very uh, closely related to what Stranko would do in his Outland movie adaptation. Make sure we're still recording. Yeah, I, I get worried. <laughs> it's still it's recording. 
So now we know for next time. Carry on. So there's that. And, uh, oh, um, the Star Wars uh, treasury from the 70s, where it's like just the, you know, that massive oversized. Which, which you're wearing the Star Wars Star Wars t-shirt. Marvel comic t shirt. Yeah. yeah. Now, uh, I'm not going to lie, uh, the editor of, of uh, X-Men 92 also edits the Star Wars books, and we have had the conversation about uh, Jackson, the green rabbit, mm-hmm. that was introduced in the Marvel Star Wars books. Yeah. He's like, yeah, we can't use that. Yeah. <laughs> like, they, the, he doesn't even want to talk about it. <laughs> like, oh, when's Jackson get an ongoing? When's I'll bet, the green Star I'll bet Wars there was, rabbit coming back? Yeah, he's, sort of, he's like Bucky O'Hare. Yeah, exactly. Star Wars. I, I'll bet there was a massive fight between... Lucasfilm and Marvel at the time over who like actually owned the rights, and, and it split him in half. He became Bucky O'Hare. That's a that's a great story. <laughs> like that's a story that should be told about a rabbit split in two. Those um like anytime I I wonder if maybe I'm like going too far with like the Transformers versus GI Joe books, I think about the Star Wars comics from Marvel. There were these massive selling uh, licensed comics about like the, the biggest thing of its time, and they're like almost uniformly awful. Oh, and they do like they go com- like the great thing about the Star Wars comics. I haven't read them in forever because uh, in two thousand five I cut Star Wars out of my life. <laughs> you kind of have to at some point. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like I spent a lot of time with Star Wars, and Star Wars did not pay me back in a way that I appreciated. <laughs> uh, but reading those Marvel comics is bonkers, because, you know, like, you would find, like, old, like, they were super popular, so in the 90s, growing up, like, I would find Star Wars comics everywhere, and of course I'd buy them. And it's so weird, because, you know, there's there's three years between Star Wars and The Empire Strikes Back. There's Marvel Comics all three years, and so you get their four-issue adaptation of Star Wars, which is nuts. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what, like, I mean, the... the the thing that's really interesting to me about those first four issues is that you're that comic. Nobody could ever make a comic like that now because it's a comic made by people who don't really know what Star Wars is, never saw Star Wars, and so they're sort of guessing what Star Wars is based on a few photos that it's they've out seen before the movie. Yes, and <laughs> the, the the world has transformed since. There was a very short window of opportunity where such a comic could be made, and now we know what Star Wars is, so we can't make those sort of wrong assumptions now the way they did then. And if, I think, if anything, comics... Like, we were talking about comics being, like, a promotional thing for a movie. If anything, now, the the movie... It's, it's not a promotional thing for a comic, but it's, it's always, like, the movie comes after the comic and it's based on it. And so it's, it's like the Scott Pilgrim thing. Where, like, it follows the comic up to a point, and then it just becomes this whole other thing, because the people making the movie haven't read the last volume of Scott Pilgrim. Yeah, yeah, they're concurrently. Or, or like, the Game of Thrones thing, where that TV show's going to become completely different from the books, because that TV show's got to keep going, even if the books don't keep coming out. So it's like, it's like the, the whole transaction is flipped. Like, the, the, the thing that led before is now the follower. Well, the thing, the thing about the Star Wars comics, and I'm gesturing at Matt with a beer bottle. <laughs> a broken beer bottle. <laughs> Jamal, you want to go? Uh, this, this is the second time tonight fighting someone with a beer bottle has been talked about. Yeah, that's why we're in the room and not in the bar. <laughs> uh, 
thing about the Star Wars comics was like, A, if you wanted to experience Star Wars before the movie came out, and then you wanted to experience the further Star Wars, that was the only place you could go. And this is a thing I've noticed with a lot of Marvel licenses. Uh, because, you know, Marvel had ROM, they had G.I. Joe, and they had Transformers, and they had, like, in the 90s, like, in the mid to late 90s, they had Star Trek. And, you know, Star Trek bounced around. It was yeah, wasn't it DC, DC and then it was Marvel, while. and then it was DC again. You're talking about Star- the Star Trek uh, characters that crossed over with the X-Men? Yeah. Yeah, I'm talking about the two Dr. McCoys. <laughs> I know what's up. <laughs> but, like, the thing is, if you, like, just looking at the covers, because, you know, I used to have the job where I would do back issues. Like, that was my first job at the comic store, was just sorting and alphabetizing back issues, and that's why I was putting together all these runs that I would eventually buy. Um, like, if you look at those Starfleet Academy comics, those covers are functionally indistinguishable from X-Men comics. Like, it's the same layouts, it's the same dramatic letter, like, this is the worst day of this person's life. And it's like, there's an X-Men cover like that, there's a Starfleet Academy cover like that. And you go back and look at those 1977 Star Wars comics, and like you said, we all know what Star Wars is. Yeah. <laughs> like, we've seen it, we know how it's supposed to work, and then you see the cover to, to Star Wars number two, and it's the cantina scene. And the cantina scene in Star Wars is very specific, you know, my friend doesn't like you, I don't like you either. The old man cuts off a man's arm. The old man who's not supposed to get into rage <laughs> cuts a man's arm off, there's blood everywhere. It's, that's a weird scene by Star Wars standards. The Marvel Comics version of that, it's one of my favorite covers of all time because it's it's Luke backed up against the bar. It's Obi-Wan Kenobi in front of him with lightsaber like a baseball bat. And it's like 20 aliens surrounding them. And it's Luke's going, swing that lightsaber, Ben, or we're finished! And I'm like, that's the Star Wars I want to see. Like... And like you said, it's these dudes that, you know, that those issues were being made, and those you know, like the first two, two or three, came out before the movie. Yeah. So it's people who have no idea what this is supposed to be. It's like, yeah, it's just, it's just some space movie. But it's, it's that, like, talking about splitting a story up into issues, and how maybe that didn't work for the, the RoboCop 2 script, because they... You know, also, but it takes that, them two issues to get to the cantina. Yeah, yeah. But like that was that was the thing where it was like we were tr- they were trying to hew very closely to the script of the movie and and produce the closest thing to that script. Whereas like when Marvel's doing Star Wars adaptations, it's like we have to have a climax in all four of these issues. Yeah. Even if we're not even hitting the climax of like the second act of the movie. So we have to take whatever is happening and make it exciting somehow. And that's how you get stuff like that. And, like, that's another thing that I think is just kind of, like, lost in... I mean, there aren't adaptations of comics, or adaptations of movies and comics now. But, like, I don't think they would be doing that anymore if there were. Yeah. It's like, you know... And I think that's why you get stuff like the, uh... The Mad Max prequels, where it's just like, oh, here's one issue about these guys... Because you can do, like, one little adventure with them before they go and do all that stuff. Well, they tend not to be... Uh, there's no requirement to have a climax within right. a comic now anyway, so right. that, that criteria is gone. That's not what you do. No. No, I, no well, you had Scarlet well, Killer Kids. <laughs> <laughs> you, had Scar- you had Scarlet burned out of town in, in the quiet issue. Yep. Oh, Tom, I love that comic. I love it so much. <laughs> Uh, so, 
So we've talked about a lot of different time periods of comics, like with a weird through line being movie adaptations. But I I just wonder if there's like a particular like era, either decade or just couple years that you find particularly fascinating. Because we we've talked about 60s, 70s, 80s, and even like early 90s up through the different times. Like, is there one period where you're just like, why were comics like this at this time? Well, I mean, there's that, like, when you're looking through, like, a box of old comics, all you can see is sort of the top, and you can sort of judge where to even start by, like, if am I looking at yellow paper? Am I looking at, at glossy white? So it's kind of like like that that era where it's the yellow brittle paper that's 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 where i want to dig the, yeah. you know so that would be like yeah like i guess everything up until uh the the very 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 late 90s now uh tom every time we come to a con and talk to you for the last two years you have told me to look for one single issue uh two years ago you told me to look for that issue of uh batman that's the only batman story steve ditko ever drew uh which was great yeah and then last year, it was that issue of Lois Lane with the typewriter, mm-hmm. uh, which is also great. Do you have a single issue I should look for tomorrow on the last day of the con? Well, I'm looking for G.I. Joe European missions. I mean, th- those, those are a lot to live up to. There's, there's uh, one I saw on the floor that, that you're probably already aware of uh, that is um, uh, when Superman has... It's a, a Starlin... Uh, Superman comic. I, th- I think it's called something else. It's called Adventure Comics, but the cover is sort of Superman versus the Spectre. And it's basically the issue where Superman meets God. Like, he tries to, like, break... The, he, try, he tries to break some, like, hyperspeed barrier, and he's stopped by the, spe- by the Spectre because if he goes any further, he's going to be in the realm of God. And then, and then uh, God, you know, once they sort of settle their, their differences, God starts talking to him, and, and the, the script... Is sort of like a you know a, like a cursive kind of ordinate script. So that, that's the, that's the one that comes to mind. There's a there's an Alan Moore uh, Rick Supreme based on that yeah, issue. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And which was the other thing I was going to suggest. Like um, uh, I uh, was there's that that um, Alan Moore Supreme run, and I was just today looking at the I- issue where they meet the characters from the old EC comics. So it's basically yes. it's, it's the Rob it's a, the Rob Liefeld version of like the nineteen uh, the nineteen forties Justice League and it's uh, nineteen forty nine New Year's Eve in uh, uh, at Justice League headquarters and uh, the, the the year's about to turn into nineteen fifty and so all the horror hosts the Crypt Keeper uh, the old witch the the the, the uh, he had other names for them but they were called yeah. like the Morgue Minder the Tomb Tender. But they all sort of come to visit like the ghosts of Christmas past, except they're the ghosts of, of decades future. And they're going to show um, the Justice League how irrelevant the whole concept of the superhero is going to be in the 50s when uh, the problems that they have to deal with now are, are um, uh, you know, uh, corruption, uh, 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 drug abuse... Racism, just all these, all these massive things that that a superhero can't just punch. Yeah, the 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 best part of that issue, because Rick Veach does all the the tribute yeah. art in it, uh, and the flashback art, and he does uh, a Harvey Kurtzman Mad Magazine. Yes, bit. like a super duper yeah. man, so yeah. like super duper man, and uh, 
And, uh, like, Supreme comes out and he's like, I can't deal with this kind of cynical mockery. <laughs> it's pretty amazing. That's a good issue. Yeah, I know, like, Super Duper Man was always really important to Alan Moore, that, and that his, his whole, uh, like, that, that whole period of his career that he, he, he got very famous for was sort of taking Mad Magazine's, uh, super, or Mad's Super Duper Man, but playing it straight. Like taking all the like all those things that you would use to to make fun of Superman and point out how absurd it is, except make them kind of scary and poignant and horrifying and uh, so so Marvel Man, Miracle Man is a direct descendant of Captain Marvels. Yes, in that. <laughs> that's a real deep cut joke for uh, everybody who's really in the Harvey Kurtzman out there. <laughs> Um, all right, well, Tom, uh, do we have any questions from the audience? Well, let me, before we get into that, let me explain okay. how listeners can ask questions. Okay. <laughs> Matt, if you don't want to get on these little chats that we have each and every week here on War Rocket Ajax, how can they go about that? Well, usually what you would do is you would sign up for an account on Twitter.com, and you would follow the ISB, that's Chris, and the Matt D. Wilson, that's me. And one of us would put out the call for questions. I, I might have Matt 420 Blaze at Wilson. <laughs> Please don't muddy the waters on this. It's the Matt D. Wilson. Don't, I don't want any more of this. No, nope, I'm not even going to say it. I'm not even saying it. Because I'm not encouraging these people anymore. Now, let me get back on track. You wait for the, you wait for the call for questions Thursday night at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time. And uh, then you can ask a question to our guest. Now, this is a special occasion. So what you would need to do to ask questions of Tom Scioli is hop in your time machine and head back to June 20th, 2015. Get on a plane, come to Charlotte, North Carolina. Head to the Westin. That's all the information I'm going to give you. You have to figure out the rest on your own. It would also, if you have a time machine, you should probably go back further and become our friend. <laughs> Maybe go to high school with me. <laughs> and then you can be in our small audience. We did, we did assign a bouncer at the front door of the room uh, who might kick you out if you are a time traveler. <laughs> it would be amazing if somebody busted in the door right now. <laughs> so before you hop in your time machine, start working out, practicing your sword play... Or just become our friend. Either yeah. way. It's probably easier to become our friend than to learn sort of play. I don't know. It's pretty tough to be our friend. <laughs> anyway. You. I'm very friendly. <laughs> anyway. It's time to ask questions. Uh, so if anybody has a question for Tom, now's the time. Brandon has a question. At the end of the series, is Duke going to be okay? <laughs> uh I don't know. <laughs> I don't know because whatever plan that I have for like the events in this series, if I come up with a better idea in the course of making it, I'll use that instead. So even if he is like fated to die or have some horrible thing happen to him, I, I might come up with something that I like better that that you know where he doesn't. Can I say that I like how Duke is wearing it in your book is wearing a tank top that says Duke? Yeah. <laughs> well, Duke, Duke went to Duke. He went to Duke University in, in, in my universe. Yeah. Yeah. Now, uh, Which is how he got the nickname Duke. Because Conrad Hauser is not working for no, us. Yeah. Uh, way back when I first talked to you and, and John about it, you mentioned that you had like that, that massive like, yeah, that series meant, pitch. And, yeah. and since then, you know, I've talked to you about it and you're like, yeah, you know, the thing you said was that 
document works for you. You don't work for it. Right, yeah. Um, and then we were talking uh, about that interview with, with Larry Hama where somebody asked him how far ahead he was plotting when he was working on G.I. Joe. And he said, two or three pages at most. Yeah. <laughs> Which <laughs> makes a lot of sense when you consider, like, every three issues, there's a new playset, there's a new vehicle, there's a new soldier that he has to introduce to the comic. Uh, and so rather than having to adjust his plans around it, he just didn't make plans. And that, that book's amazing. So, like, is there a, like, do you, are you in a place where you're plotting ahead, or are you just kind of, like, do you have it in your mind well enough? It, it, is, it is one of those things, like, I, 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 I plot ahead, you know, as much as I can, and, and when in doubt, I do have that document to, to go to. But, yeah, I mean... Um, uh, a lot of uh, a lot of issues end up very very differently than than I, I would have predicted, and and I love that. That is that is part of the process. I, w- I work till the very last minute on a story. Since I um, uh, I co-write it, I draw it, and color it, and letter it. Like I'm I'm like the last person to have it in my hand, so I can I, I can change things up until the very last moment, and I, I take full advantage of that of that power. Any more questions? Um. Oh, go ahead. Gonzo raised his hand. <laughs> Forgive me. Uh, um, this, is, this is Jay Gonzo, creator of uh, Lamont with all the studio. Who has bribed his way on the movie fighters, by the way. <laughs> I explained that to him. He, he told me, uh, okay. friend of the show. Friend of the show. <laughs> is, there a, is there an issue that you go back to if you're like looking for inspiration? Like if you just don't have it, is there like a, a comic you can pull out and just thumb through and it always kind of gets your, your juices going? Um yeah, that that is like part of my process. Like when when I write, I like to have access to a bunch of comics. I'll just like spread a bunch of comics out. Something you know, I'll just sort of grab things that I think may relate to it, uh, or just you know whatever looks interesting. And and I do uh, like I do kind of need that. There there have been times where I tried writing when I had stuff sort of packed up, moving, and it it was it was very different. You do need sort of little prompts just to just to like kind of get that that ball rolling, or or when you hit those those dry spots to kind of. A jumpstart things. Well, so, what would you say the most effective issue is for you? The one that really always prods you in a direction? Oh, like like one that I might keep returning to. Well, I, within just within like like just like GI Joe and Transformers in particular, there's there's one issue I I forget the number. I think it might be eighteen or something. But it's the one where uh, Haw- uh, where Colonel Hawk and Destro. Are sort of fist fighting on the, tank. On, on the back of a tank. Oh, yeah. that one's awesome. That that one, like that, that is a pretty a pretty great one. And that, yeah, that's the issue that has that where the hawk punches him in the face, punches Destro in the face, and Destro says uh, that uh, it's more difficult to punch polished beryllium steel than to, to punch flesh and bone, and that's why we called the band in Subatomic Party Girls beryllium steel. That's where that comes from. <laughs> That's a good ass comic. Yeah, that is a good comic. It's, 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 comic, it's yeah. two men fighting on top of a tank. <laughs> that shit's awesome. All right, Matt Fisher had a question. Uh, so, working with licensed property is sort of notoriously frustrating in the editorial process, but uh, I think you know it's it's we could probably all agree that the Transformers GI Joe thing is fucking bananas <laughs> and. I, when I picked up the comic the first time, I was like, how did this happen? Uh, do you feel like the people that you're working with at the publisher get what you're doing? Or do you feel like they're like, the kids like it, so we're just going to let it happen? No, I mean, yeah, the, the publisher, uh, I, I, they get it whole hog. And, and that book is incredibly popular within the offices 
of IDW. Like, like, yeah, they, they totally get it and they love it. John Barber's name is on the book. Yeah, yeah, John Barber is is yeah. a co-writer of it. So, I mean, it's it, it's got his his you know his his full stamp of approval. And I think, um, like, I never worked on any other license, so I just I just know this one, and and it's 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 been been pretty. Um, like there, there haven't been any like big major like no, you definitely can't do this or anything. So, but maybe maybe it is true with like Star. Maybe that does happen with Star Wars or some other license. But with this license, I haven't I haven't hit up against that. But I also think it might be uh, how I'm inclined because I just I just don't care. Like I'm gonna do <laughs> what I want to do, and uh, I, you know maybe it's not in, in in my best interest. But I almost don't don't care about the consequences. I I just want to make a really really cool comic. So. If, if I make a really cool comic and it it goes, you know, before somebody who stamps like no on it or something, like I made a really cool comic, but but so far like no nobody's put that, that big no stamp on it. Getting past IDW, yeah. Have you what kind of feedback have you gotten from Hasbro? Uh ha- Hasbro um uh uh, uh the 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 uh, executive at Hasbro who sort of handles the comics uh, license wrote me uh, recently this like really like beautiful letter about just how like you know how you know in the beginning when this was first proposed to him he was skeptical and and wasn't quite sure but that just like he's been like blown away by the work and just really you know and just really you know wanted to you know let me let me know that so so you know that that's that's like the that's the feedback, the, the direct feedback I've gotten. Like you said, um, licensed comics can be sort of a nightmare for editorial, and I think you know part of the job of an editor is to sort of shield the creative team from like not even having to think about those those kind of issues. So so I really haven't gotten any like information other than that about you know what what the the uh, you know back and forth has been. All right. Well, I think that uh, that about does it. Uh, Tom, uh, Transformers vs. GI Joe Volume One's out now in paperback. Yeah. Uh, number seven just came out a couple weeks ago. Right. Uh, if people haven't read the book, it's it, like I don't know if it works as a jumping-on point, but everybody should definitely read number seven. <laughs> I, I I treat every issue as a a complete entity. So you can uh, I I prefer you start at the beginning with yeah. issue zero, but you could jump in. On any any issue, yeah, it, it's like it's the weirdest one in some ways. They're all the weirdest one in some right. ways. I mean, there's a giant Cthulhu monster who shows up named Koburula. <laughs> That's exciting. The 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 way I've heard the book talked about in just I don't know articles I've read about it. It's or I, I want to hear it firsthand from you. Like the way I've heard it described is like the approach of like. You know, a kid with a toy box full of toys who doesn't necessarily know all the established backstory and is just making a story on their own with the toys in the toy box. I mean, is is that is that your approach? Um, I mean, the uh, a kid playing with toys in a toy box. The just the the way that um, that that I approach just creativity in general and making things. Like evolved out of out of that 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 thing that we all did when we were kids. It's 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 just something like I I never stopped doing. Um, I, I mean I I 
I guess that like that description doesn't doesn't fit what what we're doing because it's it's being created by by a kid who has a thorough understanding of the mythology, but either has sort of uh, maybe some contempt for it, maybe uh, better better ideas for it, and, and maybe you know reverence for for things that that are you know less apparent or less less revered. So, not it's not it's I I I, I wouldn't I wouldn't agree with that statement. All right, well, uh, everybody read it. It's great. Uh, Seven's latest issue. Uh, American Barbarian's coming out. New printing from IDW. Yeah, IDW is putting out a, a, a new printing, a new uh, hardcover printing. Of so if American I get that, that'll be, that'll be the third time I bought it. You will buy uh, you will buy American Barbarian as many times as as we make it. I'll buy like I'll buy American Barbarian as many times as they put it in front of me because it's always going to have the Tangle of Swords and Two Tank Omen in it. Two Tank Omen is a pharaoh who rides around on two tanks for shoes. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, anything else coming out? Also, the same month, July, as uh, American Barbarian is coming back, uh, the third and final hardcover edition of Godland is oh, coming yeah. out. Is that the uh, Celestial the Edition? Cele- the third Celestial Edition, yeah. Nice. Well, uh, our guest, Tom Tioli. Tom, where can everybody find you online? Uh... Uh, Twitter at Tom Scholey and uh, on my website, uh, which I haven't updated in about a year, uh, ambarb.com or tomsholey.com. All right, uh, Tom, thank you. And I want more uh, mystery box, too. Certainly, yeah. <laughs> Let's make this the first ever War Rocket Ajax interview that ends with applause. That's it. That's it. We did it. Awesome. <laughs> it was supposed to end with applause. <laughs> All right. Thanks once again to Tom Chioli. Uh, y'all should know that after that interview, I went and bought him the Time Bandits adaptation and the Conan the Barbarian movie adaptation uh, and gave them to him as a present. So thanks again, Tom. All right. Before we wrap up, we're, we're not doing a listener question segment. We're not doing uh, quotes. We're at heavyweight champion. But just to give you guys a little something extra, we should I think we should talk about the best things we got at Heroes Con 2015. Alright. Chris, what's the best thing you got at Heroes Con? Uh, well, I got the Eminem's new book. Uh, ben Mara didn't have any new stuff, unfortunately, but there is a full-length, 100-page Amwat One Man War on Terror Terror Assaulter coming, from coming out from Fantagraphics. Graphics. Uh, I got uh, actually got Jim Rugg's new zine, which is called BW, which is just pages from black and white boom comics that he has found in quarter bins that he has just pulled out of the comics and just put together in a zine. He did not write or draw anything in it, but it is exactly my jam. It is curation, completely. Yeah. Uh, I also bought a Transformer. You did. I really did. It's got little helicopters. It's Windblade. The fan created Transformer. Looks pretty cool. And that was the best thing you got. Well, uh, I, I'm just going to go ahead and tell everybody that friend of the show, Jay Gonzo, is oh. going to be appearing on an episode of Movie Fighters in the future, and here's why. That is probably the best thing I got, actually. Jay Gonzo bribed us with art. <laughs> he drew, he uh, painted the Phantom for me on a piece of cardboard, and it is tight as hell. Yeah. And he did, like, like if Destro had gone to a restaurant a lot in the 60s. <laughs> the picture, the, the caricature of Destro they would put on the wall, he drew that for me. 
It's pretty great. Pretty great. It's pretty awesome. Also, uh, I just want to let everybody know that I drew The Rock. I, I was only planning on drawing John Cena and Kevin Owens for people, but uh, a very special re request was made for me to draw The Rock. I, I folded and gave in. And that drawing of The Rock, I am fairly proud of. I did not photograph it. I hope the photograph ends up on the internet somewhere. We shall see. I, I will request the person who got it to post it right. sometime in the future. And that does it, everybody. About.me slash Chris Sims, X-Men 92. About.me slash Matt D. Wilson. Pernicus Jones is still on Kickstarter. You can contribute to that right now. Uh, before we wrap up, we do want to let you know there is some bonus audio for Patreon backers. You can listen to me get my birthday present from Chris. That's right. I gave Matt his birthday present. <laughs> Spoiler warning. It's fucking awesome. It is. It is fucking awesome. Go listen to that if you're a Patreon supporter. If you're not, you can go to patreon.com slash Ajax and support the show. We're done. We're done. There's Kevin Mellon. Let's go hang out. Bye, everybody. Yeah! Stay on. Let every breed of mongrel live together.